Driving? No purchase necessary. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Radio Free Radio Radio Free Urbanism. Hello and welcome back to Radio Free Urbanism, a podcast about urbanism and stuff. My name is Nick Laporte and I am joined by one of my co-hosts, Ethan Myers. Say hello, Ethan. Hello, folks. How are we doing today? Hopefully pretty good. But you might notice already that the normal person to intro this podcast isn't here. And that's Alex. And that's because he's probably in Montreal with a coma of poutine and smoked meat. I imagine something like that. He didn't tell us the details, but that's just what I assume. So we actually have a replacement for him. We found him yesterday and his name is is Ben Durant. Just lost on the street, found. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly, he's folks. Been, he's you, been, right there. He's, he's... <laughs> so Ben is uh, is another content creator on YouTube. So Ben, can you just give us an intro, like a 30-second elevator pitch about what you do on YouTube? It all started back in the old day. No, uh, <laughs> I make... <laughs> um, you said 30-minute pitch, right? Uh, we said three hours oh okay well okay so it all started back when no um i make content that really just along with reviews and things uh for products for bikes it's a lot of urbanism and it's a lot of uh i live in london ontario so i've kind of piggybacked on jason slaughter's hate for fake london and I'm like, hey, I live here and I've been biking for a long, long time here. And my fiance bikes and all of this. So I'm like, hey, just with the channel, biking's possible in cities. I realize there's AAA stuff and all of the uh, the stuff for non-mammal cyclists. But like, it's possible. And uh, I see a future in London and North America, weirdly enough. Where people can bike more. As much as hey, the doomerism uh, is, a, is a bound, yeah. Hey, Ben, can you uh, clarify the um, acronym MAMMAL? I know it, but I don't know if our audience knows what ma- MAMMAL means. Fair. So, ma- <laughs> wait, what is it? MAMMAL? M-A-M-I-L. Yep. Shoot, it's like, okay, ma- oh no, I, should, Man- I said this. And <laughs> I don't even know. Okay, it's Man- like, it stands for... Middle-aged man. In like in like There we go. Yeah. I, I was yeah. like the middle age, the MA, I was like stumped, stumped on. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. That's a, that's a, definitely something you need to clarify. A lot of times they'll say, you know, there's a podcast about biking or cycling and they think it would be about the mammal stuff. But no, I'm like, that's about, it's about infrastructure and having safe spaces for people on bikes. So I think maybe I need to clarify that more often. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it, especially on short notice. It's really cool to have you here. I'm a big fan of watching your, your videos, especially about London. But especially, I, I wish you'd post more videos about you cycling first person, having close calls, because those things get, get me riled up. And they're really just, <laughs> I know they can hit the algorithm too. So. I have to say, so the shorts are great because what I've been stumped on since, like my channel is all, it wasn't always cycling. Um, I just post whatever, but now it's become more cycling and the shorts because you don't have to think of the thumbnails and it is just like, hey, this thing happened in front of me. You film with your phone. I've seen a few of your Nick, uh, yours, Nick's. And it's like, yeah, that like that's great content. And it just is is what's happening. And it's very authentic. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, we're going to we, I've got a few questions for you coming up in a bit. What I want to go over a few things. First off, we'd have to have to say happy birthday to Alex, who's not here, even though he's happy you know, belated birthday he, he's ditched us. But happy birthday to <laughs> yeah to Alex. Um, and also, I want to 
just mention where our listeners are from. So I was looking into the data from our podcast downloads, and this is wild. I was like, oh, it's probably, you know, mostly just people from USA and Canada. And it is. But we've spread quite far and wide. Check this out. So USA, Canada, Australia, the UK, Germany, Iceland, Belgium, Ukraine, Ireland, Finland, Italy, Puerto Rico, Spain, Japan, Taiwan, the Netherlands, Isle of Man, New Zealand, Poland, Saudi Arabia, South Africa, and Turkey. Like that blew me away. Like some of those is like, that's serious. Like, yeah, that's crazy. So many turkeys listening to us. Thank you so much for listening to us. Really appreciate it. And send us more, more questions. We've got a bunch of questions we're going to talk about later today. Questions um, are like half the show, folks. So, it is. You know, if you want to get involved with Radio Free Urbanism, feel yeah. free to throw them out to us. Yeah. And the shorter, the better. Um, we've we've had a few, uh, you know, just thesis sent to us recently. They're quite yeah, long, a couple, but we're, we're still working on it. A couple, <laughs> one or two, you know, like three sentence questions. Always wonderful. We can have a little lightning round one of these episodes and we can yeah. just fly through like 10 or 15 of your questions. So, you know, that's yeah. always great, too. And uh, as we mentioned last week, the Patreon is live. And we don't have any actual benefits other than one that is is actually there already, and that's early access. As soon as I, this podcast is done and it's edited and it's out, that's the first place I post it, and it's going to be live as soon as we're done, basically about an hour after we, we're done recording. So if you want that, go check us out, Patreon Radio Free Urbanism. So back to what we were talking about. We were talking about here, and I have I wrote down three questions. Whether you read them or not, I don't know, but I'm going to ask them anyway. So the first one... I want to ask you what, so I, again, back to you, you're saying about your YouTube channel, you just kind of posted to anything, um, as the years went on, but more recently in the past, you know, three or four years, you posted a lot more stuff about cycling. So what was the tipping point for you to funnel that passion for micromobility into your videos? It's interesting because I mean, all of urbanism stuff on YouTube is exploding at this point, but yeah, uh, Jason, and his videos over at Not Just Bikes, they just kind of, they take the blinders off of you. But I think my history is a little bit interesting when it comes to that because I knew something was up with cities because I've been, I've moved around the country. I've been in uh, Alberta over near Edmonton in Whitecourt, a town of 10,000 people. And yes, suddenly it's like, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? Like a small town, we're talking urbanism. It's like, no, no, no. This town of 10,000 people was traffic logged. And it was like, how is this even happening? And so way back then, I didn't know what urbanism was. I didn't know that cycling like was a, like, I don't know. I knew it was a transportation option because here I am, I'm in traffic and there's this, like I only had to drive for, I think it was seven minutes. And it was like downhill on the way to work. And I'm there, I'm looking, I'm sitting in traffic, 2014, staring at the sidewalk, like, <laughs> hmm. next day, I went on Kijiji at the time, got a bike for a hundred bucks, just a CCM Canadian tire mountain bike. And I, I just got on it and I pumped up the tires, bought a pump off of marketplace too, or whatever. And I blew past all that traffic. I showed up on work uh, at work and my colleagues were like, what, what are you doing? And it was, it's an oil town. So it's like, what are you, what are you doing? Like get in your truck. It's like, nah, I just bike to work. And so I just hucked the bike inside the office. Um, didn't lock it or anything. It never got, it's a small town that I would know who got it. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> Bob, you give me my bike back right now. <laughs> um, but no, 
it was just interesting because I beat my time in traffic. And then on the way back, I got a good workout because it was uh, downhill on the way to work, which is perfect. And then on the way back, I got a workout and that's that. And then I ended up moving back to London and for college, I was finishing off college and I would bike over to, okay, actually we'll get hyper local here and Nick, you'll know this, but Masonville. So I grew up from what Jason posts. I, I think I grew up in the same neighborhood as him as not just bikes. Um, so like Northwest London is a desert when it comes to urbanist stuff. Yep. <laughs> and <laughs> he uses a lot of that. Uh, I'm over in East London now. Um, wondering if I should dox myself. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, based on the videos I've seen of you, I, I'm pretty sure I know where you exactly, live. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's, it's funny because I keep it around. <laughs> I keep it. I'm like, okay, within like 500 meters, a kilometer or so. I'm like, what have people uh, can yeah. know approximately? Nick, can you I believe that we are not even 10 minutes into our first show with the guest <laughs> and we are already getting them to dox themselves? <laughs> Whoops. Help. I don't know if that's a good thing or, or bad. I'm not sure. Probably we'll not good. see. You know, if you want to become a guest on Radio Free Urbanism, all you have to do within the first 10 minutes is give us your uh, name, social security number and address. <laughs> I was about to say. So my social insurance number is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, but so it's a little bit different over here on this side of the city because we take cheap side. I think you've probably seen this uh, if you watch my videos, but we take cheap side over to Colburn pretty much like it's a our bike highway we call it and yes it's just a painted bike gutter but uh, also at some point it just dumps you into the road so that sucks but they are changing that to more painted bike lanes so yay for more gutters but <laughs> it's <laughs> in this case it seems a little bit better than what it was and uh yeah okay um so yeah it, it brings us all the way downtown it's great yeah, because Colburn actually has some separated like cycle track, or at least somewhat protected, right? Yeah, it is my favorite. I was there in road. the summer, I think that's where I filmed. Yep. Yeah, yeah, which is great to see. It's incredible. So, on that point, I want to ask you the next question. So, again, back to your videos. You've posted many different videos about advocacy. I remember watching one a while ago. Uh, it was, I think, at the London Brewing Co-op, where it was some advocacy group was talking about how we can reshape the city, and it's actually possible. And it was very uplifting, but. Uh, this is also including you and your dad speaking at City Hall, talking about urbanism and having a better space to live in. So my question is, and this is coming from a place of, you know, still having lots of friends and family who live in the area and how, you know, I don't want to be too, too uh, provocative, but car brained they are about this stuff. And I think as a whole, London and other cities like it very much suffer from that. So what keeps you striving towards this goal in the face of all that? car-brained opposition well let me tell you no <laughs> um uh, we're so close it's weird like th this is the answer is we're really close because all we need is a grid like we have partial bits here and it's funny because there's not even that many partial bits but it, like the city's not large a lot of cities in north america just need a few connected grid pieces that are protected and you're like 80% of the way there because the side roads are side roads and they are streets. And so they are fairly safe. Uh, it's those roads that connect a city. There's not that many kilometers to connect. So that keeps me really optimistic. And the fact that every day I actually 
do see urban um the the infilling and density happening like i'm like oh there's a mid-rise and oh there's another mid-rise and they're taking over uh, over on fanshawe park road so i make not even a commute but i my parents are over near masonville still so i travel between around the huron heights area and masonville and I, I take several different ways, but sometimes it's the main road. And I see this infill happening. I'm like, hey, it is happening. It needs to happen on a huge, like a much larger scale, but it is happening. And then the bike lanes going in. I'm like, okay, that's happening. I, I see these small little things happening and it gives me hope. And my final little rant bit here is the, the Netherlands. That was like 50 years ago that they started. It has to start at some point. It can't just happen okay it can because paris is a thing uh, <laughs> it can yeah. just happen overnight <laughs> yeah, totally. um but in most cities it won't i know that's very dangerous too because then people won't see the it's like well we have these bike lanes that no one are using it's like yeah because they're not connected just yet so i get why they're doing it this way i am still optimistic i don't know if that's hopeless there we go that's my <laughs> answer cool no i, I like that, it because that's great the thing point. I, I get asked the same thing and we see it a lot on, on Twitter and stuff, even from people who are urbanists who might live in other countries and say that you should just give up and move. <laughs> like, no, I want to make this place better. And I always come back to the the whole, the old quotes, like a community grows when old men plant trees whose shade they'll never benefit from. And I think that's right. Is the right mm-hmm. thing to do. At least it feels right. Uh, we'll see what actually happens. It's the but altruistic think, mindset of, you yeah. know, wanting to benefit more than just yourself. Yeah. And I think we're moving in that direction. We can see it all across North America, which is mm-hmm. it's fucking incredible. It's it's really great to see Look, some places more than others. And I think we'll talk about that later in the show yeah. with an email. But were you going to say something, Ethan? I was going to say, if Tampa, Florida can get protected bike lanes in its downtown, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> your city can too. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> all right. One last question I've got here for Ben is if you had a magic wand, what is the one thing you would change about London, Ontario? (laughs) (laughs) Let him cook. One thing? It's a magic wand. So like, do you snap it after? It's like, that's how much power it's got. And as soon as you you wave it, it's just like depleted. It's all right. I I have like a... (laughs) Takes a lot of energy to fix London. Yes. Uh, All that sprawl. Oh, shoot. That's that's tough. It's one of two things. I'll go with the first. I will totally just quickly say the second because there's it's kind of like a one two thing. <clears throat> that connected grid, I think, like a fully protected connected grid with not, not only protected but lovely to cycle on because there's some roads. Okay, a lot of roads they put the boulevards or the the, the transit stops and it's up down. It's like what. The road doesn't have what what like the raised intersections would help. Um, I actually spoke to the active transportation manager in like London, which is another reason I'm hopeful actually is that is a position in the city now. So he's been doing a lot of good work. So good. Good job with uh, on Dan. Great job, Jan, uh, Dan. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, just like a lovely experience and a connected experience that is protected. So that's that. The second would be transit that's first class. Um, Really like it's the LTC is what people call the poor wagon. And it's like, stop. It's 
actually awesome. Like I took that throughout college and it was lovely. I got like, like Bose headphones for sound canceling. And I just would wake up in the morning. I'd bike down to Masonville in this case, um, lock my bike up with a cable lock. I don't know how it didn't get stolen. It was not a great bike, but (laughs) like for years it would just chill there at like the bay. And, um, I'd go over to the stop and just sit on the, the bus and it, it was nice. And, uh, yeah, it could be so much better. We'll just leave it at that. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's definitely an experience I had. I, I went to call it, I went to Fanshawe college and I had many memories of missing a connection at Wonderland in Oxford, just like trying to sprint <laughs> to get to the 17 because the, <laughs> the timings were just so off and you'd have to wait like another 15 to 30 minutes for the next bus. You'd be like, oh my God. But other than that, yeah, they're buses and they're pretty good. And I'm really excited for the rapid transit that they're putting in. It's just too bad that it's not covering, you know, the entire cross of the city that they originally had planned. But if it's a success, we'll see where it goes. But back to your first point about having a complete grid, that's something that even here in Vancouver, as they say, one of the best cycling cities in North America is totally lacking. It's like, even here, it's, it doesn't exist. It's so broken. And my biggest gripe, and the thing that I think any city should implement first and foremost is actual bike streets, actual bike streets. Like here in Vancouver, we have bike routes, which is a designated route. It's a street. Sometimes they'll have modal filtering. Sometimes they'll have speed bumps, but generally it's sharrows and then signs along the road that say slow street, they'll have bicycle signs. And that's really it. So drivers just treat it like any other street because why wouldn't they? It seems like any other street for the most part. So you end up with high speed traffic on streets that should be accommodating to people who are eight to 80 years old, right? Actual AAA infrastructure. And that's the one thing I would really like to see here in Vancouver. And of course, everywhere, I think, because it's something that can be implemented easily, cheaply. And once it's there, it just becomes an actual haven for people who want to cycle a safe and good place to be. And like every day I cycle, I have a bad experience, at least one with some driver on one of these bike routes. And it's, it's disheartening, but we'll get there. I'm, I'm also, you know, optimistic. We'll get there. (sighs) But, uh, yeah, Ethan, do you have any, any questions for Ben? Um, no, I'm, I'm very much, uh, we'll see as we go, you know, along when it comes to (laughs) questions with people. Yeah. And I've always, I've always been kind of that way. (laughs) And because Ben isn't, uh, you know, a transit YouTuber, Ethan's a bit. Yeah, I know. You keep bringing on all these bike people and like, (laughs) and and he's Canadian too. He's like, exactly. It's like, it's like we need an American who likes trains. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, on that note, let's move into our first story here. Uh, I'm going to take this one. This is coming from Vancouver, naturally. And this is something I mentioned last week after Alex was talking about, uh, I think it's Stephen Ave. Is that what it is in Calgary? Yeah. uh, Yeah that he talked about last week. And I mentioned uh, about some car-free pilots happening in Vancouver. And this one is coming this summer to Gastown. So Gastown is on the east end of downtown and it's a very popular tourist destination. And even just for people going out for nightlife, there's there's bars, there's pubs, uh, there's different cool shopping uh, stores and um, art galleries and stuff like that. But it's it's the tourist neighborhood, isn't it? It's like the tourist neighborhood of Vancouver cobbled streets it has a steam clock that a lot of people like to watch it goes off with you know making the the, the whistling noise and i can just see your disdain for it you're like oh my god i like it i love that thing man <laughs> I, I really like it i do i'm i mean i've only been here for like six or seven years so i'm still still that tiny bit of glow i'm not like <laughs> this local <laughs> you're not who's super fully jaded, jaded. <laughs> not yet um so yeah what they're doing is they're actually blocking off one block and the reason for that mostly is because there's actually a parkade on one of the blocks 
So this will be from Richards to Canby Street. That's pedestrian only. And the two interior blocks, Water Street from Canby through to Abbott and Corral Streets, that'd be car late. So those are the, the, the ones that are east of there. So that's uh, July and August. And after that, the staff will revisit the pilot project in the fall to figure out the next steps. So that might be other areas in the city or whether they want to make this seasonal or keep it permanent. So for it to be one block, I think is good for multiple reasons because it it can show people what that would actually be like an actual permanent, well, semi-permanent uh, place where people can just be walking around, enjoy the neighborhood, be a pedestrian neighborhood, car-free, because we have them, like I said, in a few podcasts ago on Main Street. It's like a one-day thing. Same with uh, in Kitsilano. They do the same thing, several blocks, and it's a party. Now, I'm not expecting it to be that, but it'll definitely be a pay- place where people can go enjoy it. There'll be seating and stuff like that and actually feel like a community, not a throughway for traffic. And that's the second part is that a lot of cars will take it as just a throughway, a thoroughfare to get through onto, I don't know, is it Pacific or I don't know the road names. And anyway, just as a throughway. So it basically makes a diverter and should traffic calm the other areas as well, which is great. It's cool to see. Yeah, it's super exciting to see these, uh, these even if they're just pilot projects, it's super exciting to see any streets get turned car free. It's nice to see that Vancouver's doing it. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm super pumped about this. Obviously, businesses are split. That's what always happens when it comes to car free stuff. A lot of businesses usually overestimate how much business actually comes from drivers. So I'm looking forward to seeing the proof in the pudding, whether or not that's actually going to be true or not, because it's not always a success. It's not like it's a foregone conclusion that these things will work out for the positive for business. But I really hope it does, because we could definitely use a lot more of these in the city. How about in London, Ben? Do you do you guys have any car-free areas? So I just got back from a trip. It was three weeks in Thailand. Uh, just getting oh, nice. over the nice. jet lag. It's it's weird because... My history back in 2017 when I went to Thailand before, that was actually kind of the crux of my e-biking. So a lot of the... I didn't mention this before, but uh, a lot of my stuff was is now e-biking because I'm like, oh my what like this is the most efficient thing ever for urban sprawl it's almost like a hack it's like hey you have urban sprawl you can't fix that in the short term and as an individual you can't do that but to deal with it it's like wait a second huh there's that uh but the reason i bring that up is i've never uh, this time we went to some night markets but they took over like all of chiang mai uh, not all of it was just two streets, but it it seemed as you walk through with the literal, I don't know, it probably was tens of thousands of people. And that was a bustling place. And then we went around the corner. We uh, we chatted like and stuff for two hours, came back. Nothing. It was like everyone packed up and left. Right. <laughs> what, what the heck? Just go. <laughs> yeah. and we're like, what? <laughs> so that's over in Chiang Mai, Thailand. And meanwhile, like they have the population density and they have tourism and have all of that. But I am yet again optimistic for Dundas Street down uh, in London, Ontario's downtown. And that's because they have done everything that's okay, not everything. They have done a lot of what's needed to pedestrianize a downtown. And they are densifying yet again, this time with high rises because of capital costs so that it's less mid-rise and like if you're going to build something you might as well build it big it's questionable and not the best thing but hey it's happening at least it's not a bunch of single family dwellings so yes kind of <laughs> it's not kind fully of. blocked <laughs> either 
the lovely Canadian way of building giant high rises right next to single family homes still stands. <laughs> yeah, it, it's again, I'm not an expert on this, but it's like the pressure builds up and it just sprouts out of the ground. But again, it's better than just leaving a lot of it as a parking lot. I think is that's what I, I, I always thought about London. And I went back this summer, like I said, and I didn't think about how many parking lots are downtown. And this is like a lot of cities in North America. But wow, there's so much parking in downtown London, it is unreal. Like, uh, what's the street there? Is it Talbot near Talbot and Dun Dundas, kind of in that area, just north of the Budweiser Gardens? And there's like this giant, massive parking lot across from like it's like the legislative building or whatever. And it's just like unreal how much parking. It's completely empty most of the time. Like there's always some cars in it. But <laughs> speaking of oh, a city you know. with a oh. ton of downtown parking. Sorry, someone. Sorry, <laughs> no, I was gonna just go for like a five second little spiel. Yes, please, to the parking, please. but go everyone it, always it. says, but the bike lanes aren't being used. I'm like, have you seen the parking lots? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. <sighs> speaking no. of a city with a lot of empty parking lots, I um, or well, I not me personally, but. There is a wonderful little Midwestern city called Kansas City, if you're not familiar with it. It's called Kansas City, but it's in Missouri, um, surprisingly, you know, because we like to fool people out here in the U.S. on where you actually are. (laughs) But this city is home to a major league sports team called the Kansas City Royals, and they have been in a stadium search for a while for a new stadium. Now, recently, they've just proposed a new stadium design that actually puts a stadium in downtown. However, this is not without controversy, even amongst urbanists, because this stadium is going to basically tear up an entire city block of businesses. Ooh. And Hmm. Kansas City is a city where I believe parking reform network has calculated somewhere between 35 to 40% of the land is literally like surface lots. Like it's like 35 to 40% of the city is surface lots. I'm currently trying to just look That's it up now and just terrible. pull up the uh oh my god. Pull up the um you know their chart that they have. Parking Reform Network has this great chart for like every different city on um how much of their downtown is spent for parking. Um but what uh what the big issue here is that since they're planning to chew up a downtown block even though it doesn't have the best land use, I think some of the land is reserved for a public storage, which is a chain of storage um like buildings. But that's still in a building that could be eventually re- renovated into apartments. Um, there's a strip of like two to three story like businesses that are there that are, you know, lower level commercial, upper levels apartments. And the real big thing here is that not only is Kansas City a city that just lacks most transit in general, but tearing this up is going to affect a district called the Transit Development District, which they've been using the tax revenue from that to fund their transit. So they have a streetcar at the moment. But the thing is, is that if you rip up all these businesses, then you're going to take away a lot of the tax funding that keeps this transit free to ride and expanding. Mm. And the stadium is also not going to be paying any property taxes for existing. So that as well. And it's going to get a bunch of city and state funds. That doesn't make (laughs) sense. What? That in what oh, world yeah. does that no, make no, no. sense? They're going, <laughs> it's, it's the world of we like to give um, our sports teams um, as many tax breaks as possible to um, avoid, you know, having to pay taxes. Because in a, a lot of cities view their sports teams as like these holy 
economic businesses that are just absolutely propping up everything. And then we just decide to subsidize the crap out of them to the point where they're not exactly providing very much economic benefit to the point where we're actually providing them the economic benefit. Cities see this as kind of this mutual thing, but in a lot of cases, they're essentially just funding sports teams to stay there. It happened as well. It happens pretty much in every city in the U.S. where a sports team will cry about their stadium being outdated and they need a new one. And then they'll threaten to leave a city and the city eventually caves into their demands. Or if you're like Oakland, California, you lose all your sports teams. And this, the, yeah, it's it's a phenomenon that's been going on for the past two decades. I just think that the uh, the Kansas City Royals one is the most new or the most recent addition to the phenomena. And it's also got the fun, wonderful thing of not only destroying a city block, even though it's not the best land use at the moment, but also taking away from a transit development district's revenue. Yeah, that's just pretty kinda, disappointing. Yeah, it's it's incredibly disappointing, at least on that end, because Kansas yeah. City is not this city that has like a, it's not like it's it has this, you know, amazing downtown land use in a lot of areas. A lot of the grid is broken up by some of the most egregious downtown highways pretty much anywhere in North America. Like it's it's bad. It's bad. Like the Kansas City streetcar is nice and all, but like it needs to expand because of how bad the land use is here. I am going to just really quickly just share my screen here and just show oh, you I how bad it is. Nailed it this time. So here we go. Here's downtown Kansas City where they're planning to put the stadium is I believe it's right over here. So if you can see, they're planning to tear up this land right over here. It's not great land use. So just but south of the right, T-Mobile Center. Yeah, yeah, just south of the T-Mobile Center, which also doesn't have a state or a sports team there. Um, but if you were to look at other points in downtown Kansas City, you oh would see what? that there is some excellent <laughs> land use that they can choose from for their lovely a, stadium. Yeah, a little, a little bit of park, just a little bit of parking, just, just, just a little bit that you know they could, they could. I mean, where else could they possibly put this stadium? You know. <laughs> I'm wondering. I'm not if seeing yeah. any land. They're trying to leverage the area Folks, that's I'm already there. I'm not seeing right? any land that they could possibly <laughs> use. It's very interesting. But yeah, that's because it's like the most desirable spot is right there because of the businesses. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. They, they also want to do a freeway cap too, which is probably the one good thing. But I think that that's been mm -hmm. proposed before the stadium even was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a better location for sure for the sports team and the people who want to go there than the current location, which I think oh, yeah. is like way out of town, basically, right? With a giant it, parking lot surrounding it's, it. Yeah, it's pretty famous for being uh, awful. Is it worse than the Dodgers? The Dodgers one is like, it's a beautiful uh, parking lot. Look at it. Uh, here, I'll, I'll, I'll just let you I'll just let you <laughs> it's guys be a good um, comparison somewhere. I'll let you guys uh, see. Oh, you. Oh, yeah. Yep. The, oh, wow. Yeah, that's a big parking lot. They had some massive. So yeah, we lot. we have some we have some wonderful stadium land use in the U.S. Okay. Well, um, at least it's it's between the two stadiums. They got the Chiefs there too, right? Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, you could theoretically just run transit out there, like for like game days and stuff like that, and not like have it majorly affect your system or your downtown land use. But you know, they want a new stadium, and that's you know they're probably going to end up yeah. getting it. I wonder if Und there's a way to integrate these in a way that you're not 
necessarily, you might, you're still destroying the businesses that are already there, but how could you build a stadium in a way that it already, it still has a remaining business, you know, access to it. Like you could have ground level businesses along the stadium. I don't think I've ever seen that other than like, usually it's a souvenir shop or whatever, just a memorabilia I, shop. Um, I think, I think, Pen- I think Fenway park has it. If I'm not mistaken, I know Wrigley yeah. field in Chicago has it. Baseball stadiums tend to do a little bit better with this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's still pretty, pretty terrible land use when it comes to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can still build the stadium downtown. There's no, no one's saying you shouldn't because I mean, look at all the open lots that you can build over. It's just that they're choosing the one spot that actually has some development on it. Yeah. It's, it's, it kind of story slash woogmug there. I always tend to blend the two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of the things on here are always, you know, what grinds my gears in some way or another. Yeah. Cool. Is there anything so, else to say about that? I have an interesting yeah. one just based off of that parking lot. And yeah, a lot of like football stadiums have just the most glorious parking arrangements uh, and no shuttles. So this is to do with shuttles in my mind because we have a friend who moved to Hamilton. Uh, she works at a college university i can't remember i'm so bad with this um but it's interesting to me because she's been asking hey guys i think i'm ready for a bike because it would be quicker um because you have parking but when i see something like that screen share that you just showed us um and the satellite view and it's just swaths of parking lots that's not uncommon for large institutions in canada either and I mean, in North America, but you get to the point where parking has to be elsewhere because you don't want to tear down, let's say the university, um, because those are fairly historic typically. And it's like, Hey, the buildings are nice. It's fairly walkable. So don't bulldoze this parking lot. So that's one of those institutions that actually it, it is good problem. Even if you have a 15 minute drive, so you drive to the university and in her case, 15 minutes, then she has to take a shuttle from the parking lot to her side of the university, which takes like the shuttle comes every 30 minutes. So if you do not time it correctly. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, yeah, exactly. So it's like, hmm, interesting. And so even if biking, it would actually (laughs) legitimately uh, in her case, it's also a downhill on the way. Um it, it would take maybe 20 minutes, but it would be 20 minutes from door to door every time. And then it, yeah. maybe it's 30 minutes on the way back because obviously Hamilton is quite hilly um, or mountainous almost. And yeah, that's where an e-bike comes in yet again. <laughs> but yeah, those. it's just like, yeah. Nothing. Oh, that's crazy. So she gets the experience, the bad experience of having to drive in the first place. And then the experience of bad transit. On top of it, just like yeah, double just, up. Just a one two punch. Oh my God. Yeah, definitely yep. bike would be much better as long as you have secure parking or at least a, some really beefy locks to for some uh, security for sure. Or maybe yeah. more parking. I do have you know? one more thing to bring up. <laughs> just more parking. I was yes. at, <laughs> yeah, more parking. That'll solve everything. But it is interesting <laughs> because I was there uh, two months ago and I'm walking and I see bike lockers. And I'm like, wait a second. I I know what they look like because I have a few videos on them. Because in London, Ontario, actually, I think Nick, you might have been the one a, a person to comment on my channel. You're like, wait, London has bike lockers? 
I don't know if that was someone else. Yeah, that was but. the first time I saw your video. I was like, these exist? I was like, I've never seen these. Yeah. Because <laughs> they look like freaking transformer boxes or something. Not transformers, <laughs> but like electrical yeah. <laughs> boxes. It's like, what? And so that bothers me that they don't, like, they're not identifiable to a commoner <laughs> um, who rides a bike. They're like, oh, yeah, I have to use this bike locker. Or, sorry, lock my bike up to a pole. It's pretty atrocious labeling, just, to be like, honest. Blank? Yeah, they're like gray boxes. Because normally I see those and they just have like a giant bike decal on them. They should, yeah. Not these ones. <laughs> While we go talk about other Incredible. things, this computer's a little bit laggy. I'm going to go find a uh, a picture for you and I'll screen share at some point. Okay. Awesome. Sounds lovely. All right, well, I think uh, we should move on to our next topic. Yeah, let's segue um, into the next topic here. And this is from California. So... Scott Weiner has introduced a bill. So what if your car, this is the title of this article here, what if your car wouldn't let you break the law? So California State Senator Scott Weiner has introduced a bill to physically limit how fast motorists can drive on public roads. And as you can imagine, this has caused a shitstorm, not only from people who are, you know, quote unquote, right wing and car enthusiasts, but everybody, including urbanists who might otherwise be interested in these types of things. So on that face, what do you guys think about this? Having something installed in your car that doesn't let you go faster than 15 miles per hour over the speed limit based on where you're driving. So I think one of the funniest responses I saw to this were it's probably the most American response you could ever make to this. And it was um, basically saying, what if I needed to get to the hospital fast? See, you guys are smiling and laughing because you're like... I would just call an ambulance. Yeah. <laughs> but this kind of brings down to a deeper oh, route. God. Where Americans cannot afford to take an ambulance because you'll get a $3,000 medical bill from calling one. Yeah. And also And it's just like it's like you you the yeah. real problem just went over your head. And this is something that comes up too is so I used to be a paramedic. I've come from that world. And a lot of, you know, jurisdictions Ambulance drivers aren't allowed to, to speed. They're not allowed to speed. They're allowed to use their sirens, get traffic out of the way, but they're not allowed to break the speed limit or at least, you know, at, to a reasonable level. So that's another thing that you can think about. Like that's creating an unsafe situation for someone having an emergency. Um, my wife is in, in medical care and there's a doctor that she worked with who would speed from the North Shore of Vancouver to Vancouver, he got caught going 150 over the Lionsgate Bridge because he had to get to an emergency. It's like you're you're creating more danger for something else that you need to get to. It's it. I don't know. That doesn't quite equate. Like I don't know what the the levels of cost benefit analysis is there. But yeah, that's not. I don't think that's a legitimate reason to to not have these. Yeah, I think a lot of the times, a lot of people just they hear the line and they immediately want to get angry about it. Yeah. Without actually thinking about it, just a little bit below the surface. Mm -hmm. And they they just see it and they're like, oh, my rights, my free because you'll whenever you see an article like this, you will see the dumbest American opinions come out about it. I'm just <laughs> I'm I got to be honest about my people. They will come out with the dumbest shit on this planet whenever it comes to anything that, you know, might have some sort of benefit, but restricts, you know, your freedom in the slightest amount. of. But it's not even really restricting your freedom because you're technically not allowed to go over the speed limit anyways. It's yeah. just it's it's such a ridiculous like it 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 just it channels out like the dumbest American thought on this. And it's like <laughs> it makes my brain hurt because it's like you don't need to be. It's not even like it's restricting like by GPS location yet. 
They just want a normal one that just, like, restricts at, like, the highest speed that you can legally go on any highway in the U.S., which is 85 miles an hour or I think, like, what is that, like, 120 kilometers an hour or something like that? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little bit faster, but, yeah, it's it's not like it's this crazy – it's not like it's restricting you to 25 miles an hour any, everywhere. It's yeah. 85 for every road. Yeah. I'm ben, just like laughing this whole in. time. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just, it's so funny. You, you're, <laughs> I can't break the, <laughs> it just, it's endless. <laughs> I agree with those articles and I agree with like all the people who jump in. And this is, I have so many videos that I've saved that I want to comment and like react. No, it's not a, like a react channel, but straight up, it's endless. You go on Reddit, you go on like the articles, uh, news articles, you go on anything and people are just up in arms. But I think what it is, is that so e-bikes are regulated. Uh, all of the electric things are regulated. Maybe not EUCs just yet, which are uh, for those who don't know, are pretty cool devices that are totally a gray area right now. Electric unicycles, um, but very efficient. Um, I'm totally going to get into those at some point just for fun. Oh, yeah. Me yeah. too. <laughs> um, but, I will hurt myself if I ride one. <laughs> oh, I think we will too. We we said like, oh yeah, we will. But we're also going to injure ourselves. Oh yeah. So, um, <laughs> but no, it's just so everything that gets introduced now. If if vehicles were so personal vehicles, a car, let's say a truck, if those were invented right now, they would be regulated. And they, it's because once you have the freedom and people are so used to it, once you start restricting that freedom, they get it up in arms. Obviously. Um, and it's just funny. And the Americans reason I was literally chuckling, will. Exactly. And, and the reason I was chuckling is because it's a speed limit. You can't, I, I can't break the speed limit. Are you kidding me? It's like, wait, you're 15 miles an hour over the speed limit? No. And also, uh, Nick, I didn't realize you were in the paramedic side of things, but it's about average speed, right? I, I mean, it's not about top speed. Like, that's what yeah. traffic introduces is a lower average speed. You don't need to gun it. I also drive and I drive the speed limit and I barely have to brake, but people are flooring it past me on these four lane strodes and they just brake hard at the red lights and I just chill. Like just so get there at the same time. Crazy yeah. thing for the audience to hear. <laughs> if you're going the speed limit or even going slower, if everybody was going slower, that would technically increase the efficiency of cars. Yeah, it's it's something I've brought up many times when it I, I think there's one thing uh, I'm actually talking about this next video I'm making about Vancouver and what sucks about cycling here um, is the fantastic grade separated bike lanes that are downtown. Yet the lights are timed for a greenway for cars at 50 kilometers per hour. And it's like, well, we could, you know, get two birds with one stone here. We can improve the flow, make it safer for cars and let cyclists also get that green wave. And a lot of people don't realize that. They think it's a punishment towards drivers. And I think this is the same thing. But there was one tweet, I think, just in this article here from Urban Proxima. And I think they have a point here. It's a hot take, not a fan, just designed streets to limit the speed of a vehicle, not a big brother device. And I'm kind of in the position, yes, but like, and, yes, and. Like, we can do both things at the same time. Because you, you can, can do... Yeah, yeah ahead, you, can, you can still get to... Let, let This is a physics thing, too. Like, we have to understand that. And we also have to understand that people are going to drive impaired whether you design the street to be traffic calmed or not. Unfortunately, yeah. that's just going to happen. People are going to make stupid mistakes. And mm. if you want to 
do any sort of harm reduction on this, having some sort of speed governor, whether its highest speed is 85 miles an hour, like that we were just discussing that, you know, Scott Wiener had proposed, if you make it 85 miles an hour, it's a hundred, you are going to have significantly less kinetic energy than if you were going like 130, 140 miles an hour. And reducing the amount of energy that is being produced, even if it's not, you know, like a crazy amount, like if your max speed is 85, then I mean, still, that's going to reduce the amount of damage that is caused by an irresponsible driver, even if you design your streets to be traffic calmed. Yeah. And I think there's even things you can do with this and implementing them in a way that could help traffic safety while not doing it across the board, not making it a blanket thing. And that's like, what about just city vehicles? If it's a, a city vehicle, like somebody you know, working in the city of Vancouver, somebody who uses a vehicle for the job, why can't you make those speed limited? Stuff like that. Because as soon as you have somebody on the road who can't go over you know, 10 kilometers, 10 miles per hour over the speed limit, it's already creating impedance and slowing down traffic. That's just an idea. But then again, that could introduce other uh, problems with speed differentials. But anyway, that's my thoughts on it. And whether or not this should be implemented, I think it's good that it's being proposed as just an idea right now, because it's definitely going to be a thing in the future. Absolutely. And eventually we'll be able to get, you know, better with the GPS tracking and for it as well, too. Mm-hmm. And then we can actually, you know, limit people safely to, you know, restricted speeds that the road is limited to. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, we'll have to fix speed limits as well, too, because that's a broken system. But, you know, we'll be able to actually restrict speeds on vehicles to actually go the speed limit. On I roads. think yeah. people misunderstand the freedoms that they have in a vehicle, which are pretty open <laughs> um, because like you're on public roads you shouldn't be able to speed. I I think one of the arguments that I hear for those speed inhibitors or like the limiters um, is, well, I need to pass someone and it could be dangerous if I can't floor it and go really fast, very suddenly. I kind of agree. Sure. But I'm never in that situation, but sure. uh, Debatably, that is something. Um, But within city limits, especially, that should never happen. You should never be flooring it past someone. Um, that's never in my life happened. It, yeah. So it's, it's but just ben, very interesting. I live in a city of 500 people. <sighs> I live in a city of 500 people. Everyone drives. We all go 500 over the speed limit. Little Timmy died last week, but you know, it's okay because that I was have his fault, by the way. 350 Super Duty. Yeah, it was his fault. <laughs> he was one of yeah, them damn cyclists. Looking. And he would—he didn't have any high vis. Exactly. How I'm glad we're on the same wavelengths here. <laughs> while I'm texting and driving. And no, using my Apple things. Vision Pro yeah. while I'm driving. <laughs> oh man! Maybe that's happened immediately. That's like gonna happen. Wait. Oh, it. Has. Oh, it already did. It happened day one. Oh, are you kidding me? I—I'm not even. Never mind. Why am I surprised? I wish I was joking. Yeah. I saw someone behind the wheel. <laughs> Oh, sorry, sorry. It's uh, it's there. It's, you go. The visual is great. If you're not watching this on YouTube, yeah, check it out. This is yeah. YouTube right. is like the we place to watch this, this because they need Jordy, <laughs> Jordy LaForge from Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Okay, um, we got to get moving here. We're gonna run into the listener mail. Yeah, running out of time. So uh, if you want to 
message us, just you can comment on our YouTube channel or send us a message at radiofreeurbanism at gmail.com. We have this one from last week from Ted from Montreal. It's a long email. I've cut it down as best as I could, but I keep the essence of it. So here we go. Hi, guys. I really enjoy listening to you guys on my bus ride to work. I live in Montreal, generally considered an urbanist oasis in North America. It still has a long way to go to be able to measure up to some great cities around the world. One hurdle that Montreal faces is that it is made up of many different municipalities which can delay or even halt projects altogether. One such project is the Royal Mount development in the town of Mount Royal, and the $7 billion project is set to create a walkable, cyclable, transit-oriented mixed-use development connected to nearby metro stations across a major highway through underground and above-ground passages. However, it faces several key areas of opposition. Number one is opposition from drivers as it's located uh, near an intersection of Canada's busiest highways. And this is already a source of major congestion. And the argument is that this development would only make the horrible traffic even worse because despite the easy access to Metro, I might've messed that up. Anyway, number two is opposition from urbanist communities because it doesn't have rent controlled and affordable social housing. It's supposed to be luxury housing. And number three is opposition from the city of TMR. And that's one we mentioned earlier. And the mayor of TMR was recently elected in 2021, specifically on a no residential development at Royal Mount platform. The developer has even revised the original plans of 6,000 homes down to 4,500 and then again down to 3,000, but the city still won't budge. And it seems TMR just wants their own massive car centric shopping mall surrounded by parking lots of which, by the way, there is no shortage in the Montreal area already. And the most frustrating part to me is that despite being a resident of the city of Montreal, the way the excuse me, municipalities are divided, I, along with others who would benefit, do not get to vote on the matter. I would love to get your guys' input on the matter, Ted in Montreal. So I try to read that as fast as possible. Hope it went okay. So <laughs> um, <laughs> if you got the idea. So first and foremost, the thing I want to address is the whole thing about the divided municipalities. And that is a double-edged sword. So this can go two, two different ways. So my example is going to come from Toronto. So I lived in Toronto around 2012 to 2014. And during that time, there was an election. And I remember voting for a certain person. You might know them now. Their name is Olivia Chow, who is now the mayor of Toronto. And I voted for them. And I remember reading all the platforms and reading her platform. This would be great for the city. I was living in Toronto. This is fucking amazing. Yes, we want this woman in charge of our city. But she didn't get elected. John Tory got elected and he became the mayor and stayed the mayor until just this last year when he had a scandal and Olivia Chow now got elected in. Anyway, the reason, the big reason why he got elected is the fact that as opposed to Montreal and their separated communities, Toronto was amalgamated in the opposite direction back in, I think it was 98. So you actually get this effect where these other communities that don't have your interests in mind are now voting on the things in your city. And affecting the way that you're going to be living your life. So it is a double-edged sword, right? Because, hey, maybe Montreal would be amalgamated and it would go in the direction you'd want. On the other hand, what could have happened is that they get amalgamated and the Montreal you know today wouldn't be there. Because these other communities would be voting against the interests that you want and you have gotten in Montreal. That's just my two cents on the matter. Yeah. What do you guys think about this? So. Yeah, from the opposition so, uh, from drivers and op oppositions from urbanist communities as far as housing goes. Yeah, so um, when it comes to it, I mean, I, I have the American, you know, um, political system. So it's a little it's a little bit different than, you know, the Canadian one. But um, the way um, 
this is probably going to be the wildest comparison, but I have to say one of the interesting ways that this is probably weirdly connected is that Montreal has that kind of broken up, you know, city government style that the Los Angeles area metro has. But I think that the real thing is that you have to kind of, at least when it comes to transit development, kind of separate and have sort of regional planning that kind of incorporates all communities in the greater metro area, but have, you know, equalized representation, not purely of everybody having the same vote, but having, you know, the larger communities having more vote than the smaller communities. Because let's be fair here. Uh, your major metro area, the actual city itself, needs to have more representation in what's going on in the greater metro area's transit than, say, you know, some small suburb that's mainly made up of wealthy people who mostly drive everywhere. But that that's just my two cents on it when it comes to planning for, you know, cities. Mm-hmm. Ben, do you have anything to say? I find it interesting because as you were reading that email, I was thinking and pondering and I'm very confident talking about cycling and independent movement. And then it comes to something like this, where it is involving housing and the specific limits. And it's just, I, I can't even recall everything because it's so multifaceted that, yeah, no wonder all of this it is so difficult. The because yeah. So, yeah, I'm like, oh, I didn't take my notes. Dang it. Okay, well, I'm out of luck now. No, but no, really, it is it is multifaceted in every single city. And each, and then as as you guys were saying, it's, it's different in every location geographically, like all across the planet. So the hyper, uh, it's all hyper local, really. Um, I don't have anything to add to that. I mean, I've been to Montreal, <laughs> lived there for, I, <laughs> okay, fine. I will add something. I, I've been over uh, there a few different times. We chose to work remotely there for five weeks at one point, two months for another point, And we've considered moving there. Language barrier, uh, slightly a problem. Uh, my family, part of my family lives in Quebec. And so we're, we're aware of the benefits it's super, super tough. And then the highway going through things, that's a whole other issue. Um, no, I don't have anything to add. I, I just like, there's so many, my <laughs> brain's just. <laughs> just got to let Sorry. it marinate, yeah. you know, and think about it. Yeah. The next time yeah, you're on BRB, the podcast. I'll we'll comment on this video later. Exactly. With... <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 No, it's, yeah. Things are very hyper local and some cities definitely do have some good comparisons. I mean, yeah, it really all depends on how your, you know, municipality is organized. If it's more, you know, like very chunked up or if it's, you know, all one greater metro area like Toronto is. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have a few more points and then we're going to move on just in the interest of time. And I think Alex will definitely have some words on this next week. But as oh, actually, far as the opposition from everybody's. I have to I have to say just to, <laughs> I don't know what that face was. That's just horrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wait, wait, one more second. Um show up to the meetings even if you can't vote get like get at the meetings that are uh, this is probably the best action item if you cannot vote go to the meetings gather the info uh densify it get people who can vote like talk to them 
you can persuade people, you can get other people. If it's going to affect your life and other people that you know, and it's just because you live on this side of the street and not that side of the street that you can't vote, talk to the people on the other side of the street. Like, go walk. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so, do that. yeah, go, That's go, go out. Your, your homework for this episode, viewers, is to go and touch <laughs> grass and talk to people because you never know. You might actually convince somebody. Yeah. Okay, yeah, totally. So um, as far as the opposition <laughs> from urbanist communities, um, they're talking about these being luxury units. While I think it's a great idea when you're building anything to have actual affordable units within the project. That's a great idea. But just from the point of saying, hey, it's just luxury. Those are units on the market now that weren't there before. And that's going to displace people from somewhere else. They're going to move from whatever other high rise they might be living in already and leaving space. The old stuff keeps getting older. Right. It's not like they're taking away already living space and replacing with high rises. This is there's there's nothing there from what I read. Nothing is there. And this is replacing that. And it's more on the market. And that's a good thing. Um, As far as drivers. Come on. Like the thing about driving and and traffic, it's it's about psychology, it's behavioral psychology. Right. And if this is well connected by Metro, that can change the way other people are already moving. And that's not including the people who are going to be moving into this development. And uh, again, that's that's something that's going to break my brain when I start to try to think about traffic. I'm not cut out to figure that out. We need a traffic expert to figure out whether or not that's going to break the whole system. We'll call I one in. <laughs> yeah. People change their traffic patterns and their, the way they move around based on what it actually is on that microscopic level. It's granular. If the traffic gets worse for somebody, they might finally realize, hey, this five kilometer trip, I could take on an e-bike. Hey, so it, wait a minute. The train is faster. Yeah. Who would have thought? <laughs> wow. It's yeah. A lot of people think of it as a static thing, but it's not. It It's it's not. It keeps. Yeah. Changing. If, you, if you think about tra- everything in terms of traffic, then you're only thinking about things in terms of cars. Yeah, that's absolutely. it. That's all you're doing. Yeah. All right. Unless you're uh, thinking about bike traffic, but we got to move on. Yeah. Uh, we got <laughs> one from Andrew from Silver Spring. We're going to keep that for next week because I think it's directed at Alex yeah. and his record keeping. So I'm going to let Alex take care of that one next week. But we do have one from our one of our favorite listeners, Halls Emporium. Thank you so much. She always got the greatest little questions. Friend nice of the look. show, Halls Friend. Emporium. Yeah. We'll have to get her on as a guest one week eventually. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to read this and we're going to start with Ethan and then Ben and then I can answer it. So when you are on longer transit journeys, what do you most often occupy with your time? Examples, music, book, podcast, game, etc. Wow, this is this is a really good question. Um, it really depends. So if we're talking like a quick transit trip around the city, usually I'll just stick to my phone. But if we're talking like, say, like Amtrak long distance or something like that, it really varies. Like I'll, I'll read. I'll check my phone occasionally. I'll go to the dining or the lounge and go hang out with other people and, you know, talk. But I'll also, you know, if I'm feeling you know, like ignoring everybody, I'll just sit in my seat, look out the window, pop on some music. And, you know, that's how I'll enjoy my transit trip or my train trip or whatever. Great way. Enjoy the views. And Ben, how about yourself? My favorite thing about transit is the thing you cannot do when driving. Closing your eyes. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> that just gives me immense amounts of just happiness and joy. So, yes, headphones gives me the option of, yes, I can either be social if I hear something happening, kind of do the, oh, just uh, put my headphones to the side, 
eavesdrop a little bit, not quite, but sometimes I end up chatting with people, but you can also just, just not even like a meditative state, I guess, but like just chill and like close your eyes and just, you can kind of tell what the bus is doing. And like, that is my favorite thing to do. And yes, to music or podcasts. Um, but sometimes just silence, like, that's not what you get. Okay, you get silence if you want to in a car, but you cannot just, you can't not think when you're in a car. So. Yeah, you're paying attention. Yeah. You're occupied. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Actually, yeah. even with myself, biking, uh, you have to Nick, do the same thing. So, no. Yeah. 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 True. Nick, yeah, that's the thing about. What's uh, your favorite thing? Thank you. Um, well, I, it depends. Again, it depends on the journey. Short journeys, it's podcasts usually or music, uh, audiobooks I love too, but any longer journey. It's either a movie, which usually only if I'm sharing with somebody, like if I'm with my wife and we can watch a movie together, I like that. But I'm definitely the gamer on the long trips. Love gaming. I'll usually bring an Xbox controller and then on my phone, I'll set up an emulator (laughs) and play some retro games. Usually like I I actually so I went back to London last summer. Like I said earlier, I actually became a Pokemon master for the first time in like 10 years, which was (laughs) awesome. Just like relive my childhood playing Pokemon. It was so much fun. It was awesome. Yeah. Uh, gaming is definitely my, my, uh, my time occupier when traveling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but back to what you said, Ben, about when you're cycling and it takes up your, your attention. This is something I'm, I'm realizing is going to be a much longer conversation than I want it to be. So I'm just going to say, yes, that's absolutely true. And it's one thing I don't do when I'm cycling or riding my scooter or whatever is listen to anything. I'm, I'm just paying attention fully, which I think is a good thing. It's not what a lot of people do. You see guys with like giant headphones on, on their scooters or whatever. You're just like, Oh, this is, this is dangerous. At, you at be best, if you're going to do that, you need to have a speaker, like an open speaker. So that way you're not, you know, you don't have headphones on <laughs> Yes, as loud as you can. Just like yeah. crank it. Yeah. Phone in holder, yeah. your phone audio. <laughs> All right. And the last thing we want to talk about, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> the last thing we want to talk about here is a Wugmug. What grinds my gears, and it's something I need to talk about, and it was on my back burner list, and the reason why I'm bringing it up today is because we have Ben here to talk about it too, because I know it's something that he has definitely experienced when it comes to online conversations about this thing. He's got plenty of videos about it, and that's about cycling in the winter. I'm sick and tired of people telling me, oh, you can't you can't use a bike in the winter. You can't do that because uh, it's cold, and then, you know, there's snow on the ground, and you might fall over. Like, it's it, it really grinds my gears. It really is annoying. So we had a snowfall here in Vancouver a few weeks ago. Like we do every year, a big dump. The shit, the, sh- the shitty, the city shuts down <laughs> and I always get to see the same things. I, I had a comment at one of my videos about this when I, I posted a short about the city clearing the snow on the bike paths. And somebody commented like, oh, how was biking yesterday? Like, oh, duh, duh. and I'm like, did you look at Twitter? Did you see all the cars crashing? What do you mean? Like. All transportation was fucked yesterday. Like it's about taking care of the infrastructure. You take care of the infrastructure, you can use it. You take care of yourself, put on some gloves, get some pogies on your handlebars. It's totally fine. I would get to where you're going. I would totally argue bikes are actually probably the better option when it comes to traveling in the wintertime. And this is obviously a controversial take, but it is so much easier to put studded tires on a bike than yes. it is a car. And it's so much cheaper. And if you just want to stay warm, which is like the biggest complaint that you'll hear people whine, bitch and moan about, you just put on gloves, you put on a jacket, you put on a hat, you put on a scarf and you're fine. 
And at worst, if you really want to get fancy with it, you can get those heated gloves, too, for the handlebars. Those are really nice. But it's it's honestly, it's so much better. Yeah. So I looked at this question on the spreadsheet that you guys have, and uh, I took a screenshot at 12.51 today. Um, and it's just the Weather Network app. Uh, I'll just send that later. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> just edit it in there. Yeah, do that. Anyways, and the, the main bit here is brace for tricky travel as snow returns on, to Ontario on Thursday. And it shows cars on the highway, etc. And it's exactly what you're talking about. I'm like, okay, I'll just bike. I mean, okay, highway travel is slightly yeah. different, um, but it's negative two. And the reason I took it right then and there is because my fiance Natalia was out probably five kilometers away. She went over to Staples to do some photo printing and she biked. I mean, it, it was negative two and it felt like negative six, apparently. Um, that's why I wanted to capture that moment in time because it's very possible. And it's not just me going out there. She's able to do that. And I love when she's able to do that because she's not a mammal. <laughs> she's not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it just the more women and children on bikes in adverse conditions, the better. It's a sign of a healthier city. And so whenever she gets out there, I'm like, yes. <laughs> You go, you you do that. And she's been out multiple times because she's been doing some printing stuff. And so she's been biking more this week than I have, like 50 kilometers later. It's like, but you can't bike in the winter. It's like, what then what are we doing? <laughs> I love I love the idea in urbanism of using basically the environmental science term of looking at indicator species and seeing the health of an ecosystem and looking at this, but with our cities, because when you see people who aren't just, you know, mammals riding around, you'll see that cycling is probably a more healthy activity. That's or the cycling, you know, infrastructure is probably healthier than your average suburban area. And I think the real indicator species of cycling that isn't just the infrastructure has to be cargo bikes. Yes. Like that is like the absolute ultimate indicator species. If you see one, it's a good area for cycling. If you see multiple, you know that you're really in an area that has some decent cycling infrastructure. You don't have to see any cycling infrastructure. If you see people on cargo bikes, you already know. Yeah. Every time I see somebody <laughs> at a cargo bike or like one of those rad, is it the, not the rad rover? I can't remember the rad wagon. Uh, the rad wagon. Back. I, yeah. yeah <laughs> I want to like yell at them like, yeah, but I don't want to be that weird guy. Like, why is this fucking guy yelling at me? But yeah, I love your bike. Yeah, yeah. I, I use I say that sometimes though. Um, as long as it's a you know a man riding, I don't want to scare some woman off her bike and her child. Be like, oh, fucking get away from this creep. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a good indicator species. I like that. So you call it frost biking, right, Ben? So I heard that because of Shifter over in Edmonton. Okay, and yes. um, funny thing. London Bicycle Cafe here in London, who they specialize in gazelles and cargo bikes. And uh, Gazelle is a brand of pretty premium bike. Um, and they, I'm totally behind what they're doing because they're trying to bring the Dutch style bikes to London. And uh, <laughs> this is me losing a train of thought halfway through talking. We were just talking <laughs> about words and things. <laughs> <laughs> My words and things did not turn into a sentence. Please send help. <laughs> I'm down. I always find it weird how the Dutch style bike kind of looks like the beach bike. I'm like, they're yeah. so similar. I'm like, they're, they're the same thing, except one is just like Dutch bike, beloved beach bike. Meh. I don't know. They totally. I'm sure do there's probably something with the beach bike that is like, or like 
the Dutch bike that's like infinitely better, but I'm just like the beach bike is kind of kind of up there. It's a good one. It's also another indicator species of a beach town having good bike infrastructure. Yeah, true. Yeah. So Ben, did you find your thought? If not, I have one more the, question the, for you. The, the there was the a point there. There is the up, 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 up. The the thought that got in my way. Well, <laughs> I'll just go on another thought the real dial quick. Up sound. Uh, yeah, and, go for it. <laughs> dee, doo, doo. Um. So my sister and brother-in-law, they got, they were going to go and get an electric car. They were talking on a camping trip, like I remember three years ago. And I was like, I mean, do you guys really need that? Like, I think bikes would be better. And they're very active. They're totally open-minded. And they are over in Ottawa, Ontario, in Canada. And I like how I specify that. Because normally I say London, Ontario, Canada, because London's not Anyways, everyone knows where Ottawa is, I hope. Um, And they bike to work year round. Um, One, not so much because super far, but they have a rad wagon. This is why I was thinking of this. And their kid goes on the back. And so, boom. And they opened up a a cycling bridge near them, um, near the parliament. And it's very well used. So That's awesome. I love it. Nice. So on the topic of winter cycling, (laughs) we'll send it it as soon as the show ends. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, As far as winter cycling, what is, what is, what is your, your process of gearing up and what do you ride to make sure you're, you're, you're safe and comfortable riding in the winter? So it's interesting because everything you guys said about wearing things like a scarf and a hat and the, the only difference, like when I go out to, go for a walk or drive or go outside during the winter. I'm wearing like the same thing. Uh, It's having a (laughs) shell is key and covering up uh, like the balaclava is the biggest thing along with, yes, making sure that your hands and feet are warm. My feet, I don't really do anything different um, depending on my end destination and how long the trip is and whether or not it's like negative 30, which this year won't happen so like you could bike the entire year with just normal clothing um but yeah balaclava and i do one day uh, i have a video coming out in the next bit and i just actually wore goggles i i kind of want to get ski goggles but these are just safety goggles i got at mark's work or house like five years ago and they worked <laughs> really well uh, <laughs> but uh normally i just use like safety glasses that i got on alley whatever express baba whatever the thing is um for like two bucks and I got like 10 of them. <laughs> and so I just, <laughs> I have those and I put those on and that's, that's, it's really the face. Cause, uh, we were grocery shopping yeah. yesterday and yeah, it got a little mm-hmm. bit chilly and I was like, okay, uh, I forgot something on the grocery store and had to go out again, which is actually kind of pleasurable. Cause I'm like, Oh yeah. Like I don't have to start the car. Like I just straight up, we went to the store. We forgot something. I guess I'm going to go biking right back. And it's just so much fun knowing that I don't have to get in the car. And I'm like, okay, oh, I'll yeah. go get something. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> bell clava and mitts and feet stuff. Uh, don't. Okay. This is a pro tip. When you buy boots, especially winter boots, don't get too small of boots. They're winter boots. You're not going to be like mm-hmm. running laps around uh, somewhere get them a size extra or something or too large because you can put extra insulation in and the insulation 
comes from having some air in there. You don't want your mm-hmm. foot to be in contact with the sides at all times um, because that's just going to soak the heat out of your foot. Yeah. Yeah. A bit loose yeah. fitting. So as far as the bike, do you have studded tires? Is that something you have for like the whole season or do you change them semi-regularly? So we, uh, we just have, so we change twice per year. So just like car tires, you can just go either yeah. winters or summers. And it's really annoying because when you don't have a lot of snow, it's just, and because of that, and because it's annoying to change tires anyways, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> we just have one front studded tire on each of our bikes. Yeah. Mm. And I mean, studded tires aren't the most expensive things. They are expensive, but they last forever. So it's kind of negligible, really. Uh, it's really just about the difficulty. I'm like, I don't want to change tires that often. Yeah. So I just, <laughs> totally. I'll just do yeah. the front. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I totally get yeah. that. Alex yeah. was on like last week or two weeks ago and he was like, oh man, it's not that hard to change a t- or a tire on a bike. And I'm just like, but the pain in the ass it's, that it is to change it. It's more than nothing. Right. Yeah. It's more than nothing. <laughs> yep. Yeah. All right. That's excellent. Thank you so much for yeah. sharing your expertise on frost biking. And if you want to see any videos about that, check out Ben on his channel, Ben Durham. So we'll link gonna, it down below too. I have yes, this one. That, one final thing. In the show notes Do as the well, front so. studded tire. Oh, please. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm like just one. botching <laughs> your, uh, your thing. Yes. Check out. Yeah, the channel. But no, the, uh, <laughs> the front studded tire is key. <laughs> <laughs> the front no, studded tire is key ask, because like anybody have any final yeah. thoughts that's that's fair um he yeah. asked, if you there lose traction thought. on the front oh yeah. okay yep, yep. there was some legs sorry if you lose the traction on the front wheel you are going down and you'll hurt yourself and debatably it's like you could be out of work like you don't want to hurt yourself that way uh the back tire if you do a little speed uh, not even speed wobble but you do a little fishtail not the end of the world. I mean, you could put two studded tires on, but if you're going to choose one, do the front. Okay, that was my final thought thing. All right, it's fun this. to drift. It's yeah. fun to drift. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay, thank you for the expertise. Anyways, mm-hmm. we're going to end the show here. So, Ben, if you want to just tell everybody your socials and where they can find you, let us know right now. For sure. So, uh, check out YouTube, Ben Durham, and then I'm on Instagram as well, and TikTok, and all of the things pretty much, but all different handles. So if you wanted to find out more, I still need to redo my site, but I'll, I'll do it. Oh no, here goes. Uh, Bendurham.ca. Uh, you can find all of the different socials, but primarily uh, I say that cause it's, oh, it's a jank website right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, YouTube, <laughs> Bendurham. Wicked. All right, Ethan, where, where can Folks, everybody find you? you can always find me at Climate and Transit on pretty much every other social except for Twitter, which I am just Climate Transit. Couldn't get the long handle, but you, yeah, you folks know where to find me at this point. <laughs> yeah, I'd hope so. Yeah, and you can find Alex at Humane Cities in most places, and you can find me and Nick Laporte on YouTube or Nick the Door on other socials. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you, Ben, for joining us. I really thank appreciate you, you joining us to be our first guest on Radio Free Urbanism. It's been a pleasure. So everybody, have a great day, and we'll talk to you next time. Oh, also, car bad, train good. Two wheels good. (laughs) This show is made possible by listeners like you. For more episodes, find us on your favorite podcatcher or on YouTube at Radio Free Urbanism.